Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got Trent Hawthorne joining us on the podcast. Trent is the COO over at Rabu. Rabu is um, it's a platform that makes it possible for folks that own rental properties to capture short, medium, and long-term rental demand. So great little, great fast-growing company here in the Charlotte region, Charlotte area. We've had a mirror on the podcast in the past. Today, we sat down and talked with um, with Trent. Again, he's the CEO over there. Trent is also the founder of his own company. Um, he's got another company called Stand Up Pro. He started, it's kind of been working on it off and on for a couple of years, as you'll learn in the podcast. And then he also shares a fantastic weekly newsletter that I'd highly encourage you to sign up for, which is called One Shareable Thing. So today's podcast, we kind of explore how Trent got to where he is. Uh, interesting path. He kind of knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur and, you know, went and went and searched out ways to, you know, sharpen the skills so that when he was ready, um, when he had his idea, he was ready to jump off and do it, that he would have, ex- would have had experience in the process, learn from mentors, learn from being in it, doing it, etc. So he's had some great mentors along the way. One of them, as you'll learn, is Matt Lackey, who we've also had on the podcast in the past. And with the company they spent some time with down in Charleston, South Carolina, too. So anyways, really happy to bring you Trent, a great person, I think a fantastic entrepreneur in the making as well. And we get to learn about two startups here in Charlotte in the same podcast with uh, Rabu, his current employer, as well as his own startup stand-up pros. So please enjoy today's podcast with Trent Hawthorne. Trent, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really excited to dive through this conversation. Thanks for having me, William. Delighted to be here and also want to thank you for everything you do for the Charlotte ecosystem. Uh, it's amazing and, and we all appreciate it, all of us entrepreneurs out there. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> no, anytime I get to talk to smarter people than me, it's always fun. So I appreciate you carving out the time. <laughs> I know that's not true, but I appreciate it anyway. <laughs> well, um, so um, as you know, I mean, I usually start off with just the softball. So um, give us that, give us that thirty or sixty second um, Trent commercial. Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm a Charlotte native. That makes me uh, a unicorn. I've heard a stat that it's about 8% of the people who live in Charlotte are from Charlotte. Uh, that sounds about right to me. I don't know if I've ever validated that, but uh, anecdotally, it sounds right. But I grew up here. Um, my parents grew up here, so been around this community for a long time. Um, personally, I'm a, I'm a husband, a dad, and a friend and a son and a brother. <laughs> and uh, professionally, uh, I like to think of myself as a builder, um, you know, of companies, of teams within companies, and of products. Uh, that's really what kind of gets me excited. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, that that's me. So, Trent, you met um, you met your wife in London, right? Um, what were you doing over there? So I was living in London, um, living and working in London in 2013 to 2015. Uh, at the time I was with kick, which was a local startup, uh, in the youth participation market. Um, we specifically built software for, uh, youth soccer clubs. So think, you know, registration, um, when you're paying your dues for your club soccer or your kids club soccer, um, you use technology to do that. Uh, and those youth soccer clubs are actually big businesses and they need technology like any other business. And so Kick um, built products for, for that market. And I, um, in 2013, since I had grown up in Charlotte, really felt like I needed to expand my horizons and, and live internationally. It was just, I felt like I was being pulled, honestly, to, to, to leave Charlotte uh, and needed to do that. And so I, um, I went to Kick's founder, Mac Lackey, who many of you in the community know, and basically said, look, I, I really feel a personal need to, to get out of Charlotte. I'd like to move to London and I'd love to keep my job, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. So you were already uh, with Kick? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I had been with Kick for about two years at that point. Um, I was the, the COO and CFO. And, and basically what I said to him was, 
you know, a couple things. One, I believe that I can make remote work uh, work basically uh, with our mm-hmm. team. And then also um, I felt like there was an opportunity for us to expand internationally. Obviously, you know, soccer is very popular youth sport in the U.S., but of course, football more globally is is the most, um, you know, followed sport. And so I felt like there there should be and could be an opportunity for Kick to expand internationally. And I felt like it would be a good opportunity for me to learn some business development skills um, and kind of get out there on my own and, and try to sell into the okay. UK market. So that was the pitch I made to the board. The board um, approved me going there um, and and working from there. And uh, two weeks after landing in London, uh, through a friend of a friend, I met my wife, Joanna, um, at dinner and uh, strategically tried to sit beside her after uh, I laid laid eyes on her. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically, we'd never left each other's side after that. Yeah. Um, so you started with kick in 2011 then, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Give or take time PowerPoint idea. Yes. Okay. What drew you to kick? Um, why'd you, you know, why'd you kind of seek, seek that out or, um, you know, why was that the job that you took at that point in time? Yeah. So, um, to understand why I took that job, I have to rewind a little bit. Um, I had, goes, you know, goes far back as you need to go to birth. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Won't go that far. Uh, that definitely would bore a lot of people, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah. So I think of, um, I, yeah. uh, I think of Goonies, right? You remember Goonies? When it, oh, um, great that, movie. <laughs> My sister Brooke and I watched the Goonies, uh, many times on a loop. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, you know, I started out my career in banking. Uh, I, I still use a lot of what I learned in investment banking, but it was not for me. I was not an employee of, of one, of one, you know, one person in 96,000. That was not for me. Uh, so yeah. I, I quit and honestly didn't have a plan and wanted to get, my only real plan was to try to get involved in the startup community. And so I networked around and met Steve Emidio who, um, you know, many people in the community know, uh, it was the, the CEO of techniques, um, and Steve, you know, back in the day, this is 2007 ish, 2006, 2007, um, was consulting with uh, a company called mountain khakis, which is mm-hmm. still local. And it was founded by Mac, uh, lackey and, and Ross Salverini. And so, um, Steve, for some reason, after a coffee meeting decided to, uh, take me on as an intern with his consulting project with Mountain Khakis. And through that, uh, I met Mac and Ross. Um, And Mac and Ross, after having founded Mountain Khakis, were starting a um, a fund to invest in companies and small companies and also to do uh, trading of public equities and bonds and everything else you can imagine. It was a pretty cool concept at the time. It was like a, a hybrid fund where you'd invest in businesses, but also trade in the public markets. Um, which was a neat concept, and uh, they needed a, a financial analyst. So I had a background in that from my investment banking experience and convinced them to hire me as their first hire for that fund. So I actually worked with Mac and Ross from 2007 until about 2010 or a little after that, and that's when Mac had had the itch to start a company again. And uh, he took Ross and I to a local coffee shop, actually one that uh, was just off Selwyn and showed us the pitch for Kick, um, which at the time his vision was that the large social networks like Facebook and Twitter um, were kind of, uh, were going to splinter off into interest groups. And he felt like soccer was the, the biggest interest group you know, in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. since it's the world's most popular sport. So he felt like there was an opportunity to build a social network for soccer fans. And that was the original vision for kick. And Mac is such a great visionary and is so good at selling, you know, what something could be that honestly, I was just completely jazzed up to be a yeah. part of it. Um, and I left that meeting thinking, I, you know, I have to find a way to get involved in this. Um, and even more so as well, because um, I, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to start my own company. And I, I felt like to do that, it would be smart for me to see a company from you know an idea all the way through to some outcome, whether that was 
you know, bankruptcy <laughs> you yeah. know, on the negative side, or it was, you know, a giant exit, you know, where we're all buying yachts on the positive side, you know, somewhere in, you know, or somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. I wanted to see, you know, what's it like? What's it like to raise money? How hard is it to do? Um, and, and I wanted to be able to kind of get that experience without it being my own idea or my own money, um, to be honest, uh, and, and, and see that kind of all from behind the scenes. So strategically, you know, that's, that's why I made the decision to join, but also I have to give Matt credit. I mean, anybody who heard Matt give that pitch back in, in 2010, 2011, you know, wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. So you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, you you did the investment banking gig, you realized it wasn't for you and you found your, you found your way. Um, you stick on board with kick, you go to London, you meet your wife, you come back, um, kick gets sold 2017 ish. Is that about right? Trent? Yep. 2016. Yeah. Um, so we started working on that deal and, you know, probably Q3 of 15 and it, and it, you know, finally closed in spring of 2016. So, um, that deal closes out, um, and you're a quote unquote free man again. So, um, what happens after a kick? Where do you go? Yeah. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> many of our kick teammates, uh, in fact, some others who will show up later in the story, <laughs> um, went on to work for the acquirer. So the, the company that bought kick was a company called sports engine and about two weeks or something after they bought kick they got bought by NBC Sports. So a lot of yeah. our teammates ended up working at NBC Sports, but my title at Kick was COO and CFO. And I think the acquired, you know, thought, well, we already have those, so we don't need this guy. <laughs> so, yeah. so I didn't, uh, I didn't get an opportunity to continue forward during the, the earnout period, um, which was honestly fine with me. I, I was, I was um, burnt out. I, I needed a I needed a reset button and a break, um, and so I, I got one. You know, after the the sale happened, um, I uh, was unemployed uh, <laughs> and uh, I needed to figure out what to do next. And my thought was that the best thing I could do was to join a company that was scaling a bit more than we did at Kick. Um, you know, at Kick, our our maximum employee count was somewhere around sixteen or seventeen, and I thought like. Uh, the, getting the experience of a startup that that had 100, 200, 300 people would be really good for me. So I set out to find an opportunity like that um, and and just started networking. It was almost like I rewound back to 2006 after leaving investment banking, just meeting everybody I could, you know, for, for coffee in Charlotte and elsewhere. And, um, you know, that turns into a full-time job. You know, you meet, you meet one person, you ask them to introduce you to three other people and and by the time you do that, you have, you know, 10 hours of meetings every day. And ultimately, after some, um, you know, winding path, I ended up meeting um, a guy called, named Chris Kemper, who was the CEO of a solar company based out of Charleston. I met him at a Starbucks in Charlotte. He was passing through, basically, and had been introduced to me through a lawyer friend. And uh, had coffee with Chris, and um, I can go into much detail as, as you as you want on on what he was looking for. But basically, um, he said he was looking to to build a technology division within his fast growing solar company, which at the time was a, a vertically integrated solar business out of out of Charleston. And he felt like to grow that business, he needed. Uh, to solve some of the problems in that industry and the business model with technology. And he had no software background. So he wanted to bring somebody who was a business person, but had a software background on the team. And it sounded awesome to me, but, um, but I thought, you know, I don't know if I believe this guy's going to move fast with an offer um, and kind of just left the meeting a little skeptical to be, to be really honest. Um, but uh, two days later on July 4th, he called me and said, I, I want to make you a job offer. I want you to build the technology team within our, our business. I want you to help me create new products that don't currently exist. And and you're going to have kind of a, a, a budget to build your own company within a company. And, and I honestly just could not resist that opportunity. That sounded exactly what I was looking for. And so I, I took it. And you were there, you were there for three years. That's right. Yep, and, um, 2016 to 2019. And you stayed there. How many uh, how many employees did they have by the time you left, Trent? 
Yeah, somewhere around 200 full-time, um, I believe. There is, there's also a lot more contractors who are on the, you know, the solar installation, installation side. Yeah. yeah, things like that. But um, I think something around 200. So you, you, you did what you were – you found a company that took it to the 200 level, which is essentially what you're looking for, right? You got the experience you were shooting for? I did, yeah. Chris, um, you know, was very true to his word. He I, – I, you know, looking back – I think it it was probably very difficult for him at the time to to give the funding to a fledgling, you know, non-existent software division, you know, within mm-hmm. his business. Um, but he did it. You know, he found a way. I don't really know how to this day that he did it. Um, but he he devoted you know a, a significant chunk of money to building the team, to building out um, technology products, and to supporting me. Um, and, and it was amazing too, because I was remote, I was still working in Charlotte and uh, I was basically the only remote employee uh, at the time. And, uh, and we built a team of, of people internationally, you know, our developers were contract developers out of India, um, in the UK. And, uh, and we were, we were basically a, uh, you know, again, a company within a company and the rest of the company was in, was in Charleston and Chris, um, really supported everything we were doing on the innovation side. And, uh, unfortunately after some tinkering, some things clicked and, uh, we ended up making a, you know, a very big impact, uh, overall at the company. So, um, so you professionally networked in 2007, landed a job, you professionally networked in 2016, landed a job. What is, um, just take me for a minute or take us for a minute um, through that process, right? I mean, I think so many people would like to do what you've done, which is go from the traditional role to working for a startup or doing X or doing Y, but they're so uncertain about what it takes or how to start it. Um, so what's the process to, that you took for, you know, for getting to that point? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so when I have found myself in those situations, um, I try to do a couple of things. Um, one is I try to come up with a good, what would be a good reason for accepting a job. And what I mean by that is it doesn't have to be a perfect job. The perfect job doesn't exist in my mind. I don't, I don't honestly even believe in it. Um, every job has pros and cons. And so what you're looking for is what's a good reason strategically to take a job. It might be that I need to pay bills. That is a good enough reason yeah. <laughs> in some cases. It is. Uh, it, you know, it, it, you know, it also might be, you know, I want to learn the following skills so that, you know, in three years I can do the next thing. Right. Um, but come up with a reason that you would take a job. Um, and then second of all is, um, you know, explain that reason to the people you meet with and, and give them a way of taking action on that and say, look, I am, you know, I, I don't, I'm not looking for a job from you. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I want to learn from you about what you're doing. I want to learn from you about um, the business that you're in. Um, but what, what would really help me is I'm looking for this type of a position and make it pretty specific, honestly, um, and say, I'd love for you to think of the best three people who could help me along that journey. And I promise I'll make you look good by showing up on time, by thanking them for their time with an email afterwards and by, um, you know, just being somebody hopefully interesting that they meet, you know, yeah. and I'll try to help them in whatever way I can help them. And, and what I found is that people are very, very willing to help as long as you give them a way to take action. You know, mm-hmm. it is. It is hard if you meet with somebody and say, you know what, I have absolutely no idea what I want to do. I, you know, I'm a blank, you know, piece of paper, <laughs> blank canvas. And, you know, what can you do for me? Right. That's a, that's a, that's a tough meeting for the other person. You know, uh, if you give them some direction and you do the basic things like showing up and thanking them um, for their time, they'll help you. And that's what I recommend to do. Okay. So, you're um, you're in London. You moved back here um, at the same time. I assume that kicks hold, right? So you moved back here late 2015, early 2016, give or take. Moved back in early 15, okay. and kick sold. Um, you know, probably 15 months later. Um, okay. And that that period. Uh, I know we'll get into this at, um, at a different point, probably. But that period for kick between January 15 and 
and call it April of 16 was a really critical period and, and ended up teaching me quite a lot. Okay. So let's go there because I want to go into 2016 with you for a minute. So what did you learn at kick at the end? So, um, I learned a ton of my time over five years, <laughs> but, but one of the things I realized when I, you know, we, we struggled a lot at Keck. I'll just be perfectly honest. We struggled with software development. We struggled with being on the same page as a team. We struggled with communication and, uh, and we made, you know, we brought on a lot of teammates who weren't the right fit for what roles we gave them. And, uh, and I take, a lot of the responsibility for that. You know, um, I, I was very young in my managerial and leadership career and I own and need to own a lot of those mistakes. Um, and in 2015, you know, we were, we were kind of at a place where it was a make or break, you know, we, we had to, uh, get some traction with a couple of our products. We had to do better as a business. And, um, when I got back from London in 2015, uh, it it became you know very clear to me that we were a pretty poor performing team you know and there's really no no other way to put it honestly we were bad at communicating and we weren't very good at hitting our objectives and um, and I struggled with what to do about that you know and I felt a huge responsibility of of how to improve it and uh, one day um, while I was you know and let me also paint the picture of of what it was like at Kick you know, in Charlotte. So in Charlotte, we worked, um, off of East Moorhead in one of the, in a giant room in one of the mills, you know, over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and it was all of us who were in Charlotte, were all in the same room. It was, uh, it was one of those, you know, big kind of the idea that most startups have of everybody will be in the same room and we'll all overhear each other. And that'll, that'll lead to great communication, right? That was the, the thought process. And I realized that that definitely was not working. Right? We were not communicating well just because we were sitting in the same room. And one day um, I saw our, our software development team, which was about four or five people, they were doing their daily stand-up. And if you're familiar with, with agile project management, you know what a daily stand-up is. It's, it's a daily meeting where people go through the tasks they have for that day and they um, they use it as a way of changing course if they need to based on any new information, right? Because software development in this modern day and age with cloud computing is a lot changes very quickly and people use daily standups to stay on the same page. And so I saw our software development team doing a daily standup where they were literally standing up around a desk and having their, their meeting and they kind of concluded it and they walked back to their desk. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, here's roughly a third of our team that is doing a daily meeting and they're on the same page. And then there's other, the other 10 of us who are not meeting daily at all. And if we're meeting weekly, it's a, it's a boring long meeting that by the time we meet every week, whatever we discussed the previous week is completely irrelevant yeah. right? at that point. Cause we're, things are changing so fast. And I thought, well, this is, you know, why don't we meet as a team every day, all of us, why don't we all do a daily stand up? maybe that'll improve our communication and our personal accountability to one another and, and our culture. And so I, I, I had that thought and it was kind of a light bulb moment moment for me, honestly. And, um, and so I wanted to implement a daily meeting, but I also knew our team and knew how we operated. If that meeting went, you know, any bit longer than 15 minutes, everybody would hate it. <laughs> that's just, that's just the fact, you know, people yep. hate me. Right. And so I thought I got to make this more efficient. We have about 15, 16 people. We cannot go over our to-do list. We just can't, you know, it'll take way too long. So what should we go over? And I thought, well, why don't we just go over the most important thing that each person's going to do in that day and only report on that. And then the next day we'll say whether we hit it or we missed it and say why. And so we started doing that. So we started that meeting and everybody would report on just one thing. And it was incredible um, to be honest. And, and there's many of our teammates who were a part of that, that'll tell you the same thing. Our performance turned around almost immediately um, because what I found was that people learned things during that meeting that there would have been no other way for them to learn. And with more context of the whole business, 
they were able to make better decisions and do their job better, um, which helped all of us. And then the other piece of it was that the teammates became accountable to each other. So if you tell your teammates of you know 14 or 15 people that, hey, I'm only going to do this one thing today, and you come back the next day and you don't do it, you feel pretty bad. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a peer pressure element to it, right? You know, you, you're letting your team down. And it became where Trent wasn't the the boss, you know, the manager, the person who's got to hold me accountable. It was I'm accountable to my peers, you know, for doing this stuff every day. And it made my job as a manager and leader so much easier. Uh, and I realized at the end of that meeting every day, I had some announcement to make, you know, whether we had an investor coming in that day. So please tidy up your desk or, hey, we are considering, you know, selling the company you know, yeah. and, and here's, you know, here's what we need to do to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, and it, it, it gave me a platform to announce stuff that otherwise, quite frankly, I probably would have been too lazy to type in the Slack or, you know, would have thought, well, we'll wait for a weekly meeting and I'll forget it, yeah. you know? Um, and so it just worked wonders for us and, and really turned our, our company around. I, I credit a lot of our turnaround over that year, year and a half, um, to that one meeting. That's cool. So uh, my wife was in corporate America for a while and she always complained about the, the two hour long weekly meeting or whatever. And my solution was always just to take a medicine ball to the meeting and tell people that they had to hold a medicine ball while they spoke. Um, you actually turned it into a software and made it a much better concept than I did. So um, <laughs> anyways. A medicine funny. ball is a good idea. I might use that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Building core strength at the same time of, uh, you know, making people be brief. I like exactly. That. So, um, so, so that, that's credited to, um, or you look at that as kind of a, a pivotal moment within kick. Um, and, um, and you realized it and it was, even though you started professionally networking to find the next job in 2016, um, you also realized that there was a potential future for, um, for that meeting structure as well, right? Yes. So I, um, when I joined Palmetto, you know, I, here I am, I'm the only employee in Charlotte and everybody else is in Charleston. And even the people I'm bringing on the team on the technology side are, they're international, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, all right, how am I going to keep us all on the same page? How am I going to connect us all? Um, and I thought, well, of course, I, I have the answer. It's it's the daily stand-up meeting. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do it every day. And so I I implemented the same meeting with my team at Palmetto that we had done at Kick, and it it worked. You know, immediately. And I remember, so when I was at Palmetto, I had an office out of Huga uh, early on, and I was I was at my office in Huga um, over off Moorhead again, and. Um, I remember having a kind of a, another light bulb moment where I thought, okay, this has worked at Kick, it's worked at Palmetto. These are very different sized companies, different teams. There's something to this, you know, mm -hmm. and and nobody else is doing this. There's a there's there's a lot of people out there doing stand-ups, don't get me wrong. Um, but they're mostly on software development teams. Um, and they're all they're reporting on all of the things they're doing within that what's called a software sprint, right? They're not talking about the most important thing they're going to do that day. And I felt like that was a differentiator and it was working now in two teams. So I thought, okay, there's something here and I, I really want to get to see if there are more companies that could benefit from this. And, uh, you know, this, this might be something, and it's something I'm very passionate about, right? So it was kind of, there was several part, parts of it that I went, okay, I need to start testing this more broadly in some way. So how'd you start testing it? So you're still at, you're still at Palmetto. Um, company's growing fast. You're trying to figure out how to grow the team, develop technology. Um, and while at the same time, you're trying to figure out how to test uh, a business concept as well. How'd you do it? Yeah. So um, I, you know, after kick sold um, and uh, Amir started Rabu uh, and we, we can talk about that in a bit, but, you know, Amir was with me at kick, um, and had gone on to work at NBC sports and had started this kind of side hustle of Airbnb management, um, that ultimately became Rabu. And he and I, 
uh, decided that we would meet every two weeks uh, for coffee and just exchange ideas. And I, I went to Amir at one of those meetings and I said, look, I, I think there's the potential to, to build what we used to do with standups into a software product. And I'd like to get some other businesses around town testing that, you know, will it work for other companies like it did for us and like it does for us. And I said, you know, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't have the money, quite frankly, <laughs> to, to build the software product, and I don't want to raise money. Don't have time to do that or interest in doing that, and I can't build the software myself. So, what do I do? And you know, after a couple of you know meetings, Amir, you know, to his credit, came back to me one day and said, he said, you know, I don't think this is an excuse, quite frankly. He said, you know, you're really good at Excel. Why don't you just build it in Excel? We used to track our old goals and at Kick and in, in a Google Sheet document anyway. Just build a nice Excel tool for people to use and see if you can get them to use that. Because if they'll use that, then they'll probably use a software product. And uh, and I thought that is brilliant. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you know, because that's something I can do for free. You know, yeah. um, back to my banking days, I'm pretty. You know, one thing I am decent at is Excel, and so that'll take me 15 minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, so I kind of honestly couldn't wait to get back to my computer to build that. So I built an Excel file that, you know, had had what we needed, you know, the ability to input people's names and track their goals. And, you know, it would do um, analytics on their hit rates of their daily goals and and that kind of stuff. And I built a template for it. And um, and so I said, well, great, Amir, you know, now that I built the spreadsheet, I want you to use it at Rabu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, con- congratulations. You're my beta user. Or alpha exactly user, right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So of course I'll use it at Palmetto, but you're going to be using it at a review. And uh and, and he was like, done. Happy to, you know. <laughs> so so they uh they started using it at Rabu. And um and then, you know, over time I just started trying to get other, you know, local startups um to do the same. And I, I really had this theory of you know, would they keep doing it? That's what I wanted to see, right? You know, would they would they start standups and then after two weeks say, Trent, it didn't work, you know, yeah. or would they, would they keep doing it? And for how long would they keep doing it without me continually prodding them? Right. And so, um, yeah, during, during that period, um, that's what I, that's what I tried to do. Get more users of the Excel file. Okay. Um, all the time you're still working at Palmetto, you transitioned out of Palmetto at the end of 2019. Um, and obviously now at this point in time, you've transitioned over to Rabu where you're the COO over there. Um, what was the transition out of Palmetto like? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my time at Palmetto was, was great. Um, we transitioned the business model from what was a, a, a traditional solar company to a technology company that is a platform for selling solar. And, and after we did that, you know, the company's growth took off like a rocket ship and, it was honestly a, a, an amazing experience, and the company's doing great still. Um, but in in 2019, um, a couple things had happened. Um, you know, one, I just had we had my wife and I had just had our son Grant, and uh, he was born in January of 2019, and I was was tired of driving down to Charleston, which I did, you know, every you know few weeks just to maintain some personal FaceTime, right, with the team there, and. Uh, I just, I didn't want to go <laughs> anymore uh, for one thing. And then the other piece of it um, strategically for the business was, you know, my title at Palmetto was CTO. And and the reason, you know, Chris kind of gave me that title was because I had built this technology company within the company, but I'm not a pure CTO. I'm not a technical, you know, that's not my background. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Palmetto's goal is to go public. And if there's any entrepreneur that I believe in that can do that, it is Chris Kemper at Palmetto. I, I believe they can do that if that's what they want to do. But to get from where they were in 2019 to a public company, you would not hire me as the CTO. That's mm-hmm. just the bottom line. I wouldn't either. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and and so, you know, I think, you know, this was this is me reading between the lines of our conversation. So I'm not going to put words in Chris's mouth, but I, I think he had kind of come to that conclusion that I wasn't the person to take them to that next level. And, you know, because I had so much respect for him and for everyone there, I didn't want to be the guy that has to be ultimately told that, you know, yeah. and, and exited out of the business and, and, and have it maybe even get ugly. That's the last thing I wanted. I'm, I, I love keeping professional bridges solid and relationships solid. So, 
you know, I, I talked to my wife, Joanna, and, and told her that I think I needed to, to make a change. And meanwhile, Amir and I were still having these meetings every two weeks. And uh, in one of those meetings, I said, look, you know, I think it's time for me to, to transition out of Palmetto. Um, and I'm looking for another opportunity. And he said, well, if, you, if, if you'd like to join us at Rabu, we'll take you. And, and he kind of said it jokingly, but I, I said, well, if you're serious, yeah. <laughs> you know, I might be serious. And, um, when's my and, start date? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was on the, I was on the board of Rabu. So I was involved in the company and, and, you know, knew obviously that it was how much potential it had. And, and, and I think so highly of the people that were already involved at the company. So there was a lot of positives going for it. Uh, of course. Um, but he, you know, he followed up to his credit a couple of days later, said he had spoken to to James, his co-founder, and that and that they were serious um, and that they wanted to meet over the weekend. And you'll you'll laugh at this, but I think it it shows it shows something about about me, kind of who I am. Um, <laughs> you know, I've known Amir and James for gosh, I don't know, uh, seven years, you know, okay. at that time. And, uh, and they, you know, technically used to report to me. So I was, I used to be their quote unquote boss, even though I hate that term now, yeah. to be honest. Um, and I was already on the board, right? So you would yeah. think, you know, to show up for a Sunday meeting at, at Rabu's office, I could just go casually in, right. And <laughs> just say, Hey, here I am, you know, you should want to hire me and you already know why, you know, um, kind of thing. But but I didn't. I actually spent the weekend building a presentation um, for them um, about, you know, what what I thought I could help them do, and yeah. what I, you know, what next level I felt like I could help them take the business to. And I, I, you know, dressed up, <laughs> showed up at the office, and I think they both looked at me like I was a little bit insane. You know, when yeah. I showed up there on Sunday, like, dude, you know, we're friends. You don't have to do this. But I, I really felt like I needed to do it. You know, I, I didn't want them to hire me because they knew me. I wanted them to hire me because they felt like I was the right person to take the business to the next level. And so I put together a presentation for them and, and took them through it. And, um, and, and they, uh, they offered me the job. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> So the cool thing is, uh, I mean, you've got this, you know, at this point in time, you've got this kind of defined side hustle or hoped for side hustle, which has turned into um, stand up pro um, And a, you know, your future soon to be immediate employer knows about it. That's right. Yeah. So Amir uh, especially has been incredibly supportive and helpful of, of how stand up pro has evolved. So kind of to tie that together, you know, I, I got a lot of local businesses to use the spreadsheet, uh, do do daily standups. They they continued to use the spreadsheet. It showed me that there was something there, and so I believed that I could and and would build a software product uh, for running those daily meetings and tracking those goals. And and we've done that now, um, and it's called Stand Up Pro. And uh, uh, my wife and I have have self funded it, um, you know, and and did that over a couple of years. We saved up to be able to to have the funds to be able to create this thing called stand up pro. But Amir has been with me every step of the journey, uh, advising me quite frankly on, on what to do next and just being a friend to bounce ideas off of. So when I joined the team at Rabu full time, you know, I said, look, I'm, I'm not going to join unless you are okay with me continuing to, to do this on the side. You know, it is, it is something I'm passionate about. It's something that, you know, it's my hobby. You know, uh, some people, you know, play chess. <laughs> I, I build companies, right, or try to, um, and and it's going to be my five a.m. and and ten p.m. time. But you you need to be okay with this, and I want to you know do that with full disclosure up front. And and he he said, of course, you know we fully support you. We're already we already use the tools ourselves, um, and it and it helps our business. And um, and he also said, which I thought was you know, I hadn't been thinking about the time, but I, but it was true. And he said, you know, also Trent, it would be really hypocritical for me to deny you that chance when, when I started Rabu while working at kick, <laughs> basically, yeah. um, you know, we're just entrepreneurs, right. You know, and some, some advice I would give to, to other entrepreneurs out there is that if you're making hires in an early stage company, you know, these are people that are going to have, they're, they're a little bit crazy, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're, they are builders. Like I defined myself early on in this call, um, you know, they're going to want to do things outside of the business and, um, and you should let them. That's my personal opinion, because, you know, to, to extinguish that flame in them is to kill 
the creativity and some of the madness that they bring to your business that you quite frankly need. You know, yeah. you need people that are willing to do six jobs at once. And there's no better way to learn that than to, to just do it. No, you're right. Um, so you've been with, um, you've been with Rabu over a year now. Um, you know, what, um, you know, you've learned, so, um, you learn skill sets at kick, you learn skill sets. I mean, specifically just, um, a massive growth curve while you were at Palmetto. Um, what's, um, you know, what is the learning curve for you like now at Rabu? Is it, I've been there, done that, or are you still picking up on things on an everyday basis? No, I guess not every day, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, you're right. It is every day <laughs> for sure. I mean, <clears throat> look, this, this, you know, entrepreneurship journey is, is all about learning. I, I, I believe that building a company is the hardest thing you can possibly do professionally. And I think that's, that's what makes it so fun. Uh, it is, it is hard as heck. Um, but there's, there's, you're never running out of things you can learn. And I'm absolutely still learning a ton at Rabu. One of the most fun things about my time at Rabu over the last year and a half is that I've really gotten to be more involved in sales, which prior to now, I really have not had much experience in. Mostly I've been in on the operations and problem solving side of businesses. And my title at Rabu is still COO, but, but our number one you know, problem right now is, is growth. Our, our yeah. opportunity is growth. And so uh, Amir, James, and I, who are not sales-oriented people, have had to try to solve the problem of sales and um and we are learning it as we go you know um and we've made a lot of mistakes uh, along the way but we're learning from those mistakes and so um you know most of my time now at, at rabu is spent really 50 50 between you know building the team and empowering the team and um you know unleashing their potential by building systems and then the other 50 percent is sales and growth. And uh, that's been awesome to learn because gosh, there's no more important skill, quite frankly, for entrepreneurs than selling. And I have learned it probably too late. And so yeah. I'm excited to be learning it now. Uh, there's no such thing as too late. Right. <laughs> I wish that I, you know, if, if I could rewind and do something different about my career, I mean, I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I've had a, I'm happy with my career. I think it's been, everything has been the right time for whatever I did at that time. But uh, I would say that, you know, if I could change one thing, it's probably that I would go back and start out in sales, you know, yeah. and, uh, because learning that, you know, function um, is so valuable. You can work anywhere. If you can sell, um, then, you know, every entrepreneur, <laughs> every small business will take you uh, yeah. because uh, you pay for yourself. Well, I'll say one of the key crucial things of sales too, though, is confidence though, right? And for somebody like you to have gained confidence over the years, uh, maybe this is the perfect time for you to to be learning sales because your confidence is from what you've learned over the course of the last seven, eight years is is so much more grounded these days than maybe it would have been 10 years ago. And to try to learn it then would have been a little bit more difficult. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, at least for me, having the kind of professional maturity to, to try to not to take rejection personally, right? mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and to get out there and say, look, you know, this is uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, a numbers game, you know, you're going to get every no that you get, it's closer to a yes. And that yeah. is truly the, the mentality you have to take. I'm learning in sales. And now at this point, I actually kind of get a, a kick out of, a no, because I know we're on our way, you know, to yeah. our next closed deal. I, I've heard this anecdotally. I don't know if it's true, but I do think about it a lot. Um, the legend is that um, Babe Ruth used to smile after strikeouts and people asked him why he smiled after strikeouts. And it's because he said he knows that um, the numbers are now in his favor. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's closer to his next home run basically. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I like to think it is. And that's kind of how we approach it. That's funny. Um, so, um, so just remind us for a second, um, a, what Rabu does and then how y'all are doing at the moment. Yeah. So we, we make, um, real, real estate investors, more yield, more revenue on their property. So if you are uh, an owner of a, a rental home, single family or, or multifamily and apartment building, 
then um, we will manage your property for you and we will generate you more revenue from that property. And so a quick, easy example to give you is if you own a, a home that you would you know, rent on a long-term, to a long-term renter for $1,500, let's say, um, then we can take that same property, if depending on its geography and its bedroom, bathroom count and, and its market, and we can earn you 2000 right? Um, even after our fees. And the reason for that is because there is a lot of demand for short-term and midterm stays in cities like Charlotte. So people that are visiting for the weekend uh, or coming here and staying, you know, uh, two weeks in a, in a nice furnished home before they find where they want to live permanently, if they're moving here for a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and the premium that those guests pay um, to stay on a shorter basis you know, then a long-term tenant, um, you know, stays, uh, yields you, yields you more money. Right. Yeah. But it's also a lot of work, you know? Um, so we list our properties on Airbnb and when short-term rentals are in high demand, you know, we are cleaning that property four or five times a month and turning it over, doing linens, laundry, communicating with the guests, everything that needs to happen to generate that revenue. We do it at Rabu and we use software to do it. Uh, as efficiently as possible. Um, but you know, again, kind of going back to what we do is we make uh, real estate investors as much money on their property as we can. And we do it through the the short-term rental marketplace. And you can, you know, in simplest terms, think about that as Airbnb, even though it's, it's more complex than that. Yeah, certainly. Um, business okay in the time of COVID? Absolutely. You know, in March, we were you know, we were staring uh, a you know a cliff <laughs> in the face potentially. You know, uh, yeah. uh, when when all travel was was banned and when people canceled reservations, and at the time Airbnb actually gave um, all guests a blanket uh, free cancellation. You know, get out of get out of your reservation free card basically. Um, and and people and that was the right thing to do. By the way, Airbnb should have done that, and and guests took them up on it. And so mm. um, our business model is a percentage of revenue. So when the reservations went to zero, our revenue went to zero essentially yeah. uh, overnight. And so we, you know, uh, I'll kind of, I'll never forget the day is Friday. I, I'm pretty sure it was Friday the 13th, March 13th. And Amir James and I met in the office. We'd actually told everybody else to start w- working remotely already. So it was just the three of us. And uh, we, we met in the office and we said, you know, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to earn our customers, real estate investors, revenue through this period. And, um, and it became clear over some dialogue and, and, you know, intensely, you know, strong debate <laughs> that um, the best thing to do would be to, to cater to um, more midterm stays. So think of a, a one month or three month stay versus a, a normal three night stay that we used to host. And so we would reduce our properties nightly rates and increase the minimum nights that you had to book them. And we would target people who already are living in Charlotte, as an example, who are in between homes or uh, maybe at the time we were thinking they might need to quarantine, quite frankly, you know, uh, or other uses. And, and so we pivoted to that strategy and, and it worked. You know, we were we actually throughout COVID, you know, from I'll call it mid-March through, you know, end of June, achieved 90% occupancy at our properties. There was a, a much more demand for those stay lengths than we ever would have thought. Um, and that has actually opened our eyes um, to to that demand that we never would have known was there, right? Because you know, if we're hosting three weekend stays at a property, you can't book the property for that month, yeah. right? But if the calendar is wide open, then someone can book it for a month. Uh, and so we've learned that there's a lot of demand now that uh, with people changing the way they work and live with remote work um, and with this more nomadic lifestyle that people want furnished rentals, the kind of supply that we manage. And so um, that's now part of our strategy. So business has been great. Um, we've actually doubled our door counts under management um, nearly. So, you know, that's the number of properties that we manage. We, we have almost doubled that. Um, in the last roughly eight months. Um, and it's been really interesting to see. Uh, so business is doing great. It's awesome. Um, so we got about 10 minutes left in um, call today. So let's pivot and focus just a little bit more on stand up pro for a little bit. 
Um, so um, you've developed it into a software and in doing so you ran into a co-founder, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, my wife, Joanne and I, you know, kind of slowly saved up money, you know, over from 2016, 2017 into 2018, just, you know, socked away what we could, you know, on a monthly basis through that period kind of came up with a, a, an amount that we were comfortable dedicating to this. Um, and so, you know, anytime I say, you know, I, during this uh, <laughs> interview, I want to make sure that it's really, uh, it needs to be a, a find and replace with we, <laughs> yeah. uh, cause truly I could not, could not do this, you know, financially, emotionally, um, any of it without, without her. So it was our plan. We saved up for it. And then, um, you know, I, I needed to find somebody to partner with me to build the, the software that I had, um, in my head and had, you know, scoped out. And, um, that was hard. You know, I, I didn't have a ton of money to pay and, um, and needed to find somebody that believed in the vision, you know, and, and knew the value of what, what I was proposing. And it turns out that, um, one of my former coworkers at Palmetto, um, you know, was, was ready to partner with me on it. This was, you know, I should say that was after a couple of misses people that I <laughs> had thought were the right partners that, you know, would start and stop. And, you know, it was frustrating, you know, yeah. I probably went through a period of six or 12 months where I ran into a wall at every turn, you know, where I thought I had the problem solved and I, and it just didn't work out. Um, but this former coworker of mine, uh, Juan Fabrega from, uh, Palmetto was the perfect partner. He knew the value of the standups. He had done them at Palmetto with me. Um, he is a great engineer and, um, and a good person. And, and, uh, I was, you know, thrilled that he was willing to take the risk. So we, we struck up a partnership and, uh, gosh, I think it was late 2018, maybe early 2019. It's all a blur. Cause that's when my son was being born as well. So I was a newborn, newborn parent at the time. And, uh, so time, time is kind of, uh, uh, blurred together, but, um, around then. And so he started building the product, uh, yeah, early 2019 and, uh, and we launched an MVP of it in, um, October of 19. So about a year ago, actually, now that I think about it, um, time and during the period of COVID also warps together. So <laughs> stuff yeah. get these timelines together, but yeah, we, 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 um, got actually Rabu is our first user, um, of standup pro in October of 19. And, and then we've gotten, uh, more since. So we've really been in, in what I would kind of consider the beta over the, the last year. Um, and, and now we're ready to add more. So website is standuppro.io. Um, okay. you can find out more information there and you can sign up for free there as well. Um, you know, our, our pricing model is really simple. It's free forever for the first five users. So, you know, you can test it out with anybody you like. Um, and then beyond the fifth user, it's $5 a user a month, um, which uh, is just kind of our initial go-to-market pricing. You know, we think it absolutely adds that value. It will make your team better, to be honest, in, in, in simplest form. Um, and uh, yeah, I would love for for people to check it out. And, and honestly, the, one of the best things you could do, um, I, I believe it'll add value to your business. Otherwise I wouldn't have built it, yeah. <laughs> but, but the best thing people can do is, is provide feedback. You know, if they, if they start it and it, it doesn't work, you know, for whatever reason, then that is incredibly value valuable to me to learn, you know, why didn't it work? What do you wish it had? Um, and, uh, and that kind of feedback would be amazing. Yeah, certainly. So, um, it, on that note, is it, um, is it right for Bank of America? Is it right for, for the, you know, two person startup team, the 10 person startup team, the 200 startup, um, where do you think it'll find its home from a initial takes perspective? Great question. So I think about it that it is best for leaders of teams of five to 20 people. So that could be a startup, you know, think of a kick that had, you know, 16, 17 people or a Rabu now, just nine full-time people. That's, that's an ideal customer, but it also is perfect for functional business units within larger corporations. You know, so um, my answer to the B of A question would be yes. You know, if you're, if there's a, a team that is a, you know, a VP of marketing who has eight reports to him or her, 
uh, and they want to stay on the same page and, and have a more accountable, better performing team, then Standard Pro would be a great fit. You know, um, the only hesitancy I would have about a B of A is, you know, um, maybe the the IT you know, de department there and budgeting and procurement and all that would have to get involved, which, you know, may not be ideal. But um, if the, the leader has has budget authority and the ability to implement a solution, then I think it's still good there. So teams of five to 20 is where I think it's it's sweet spot. So it's interesting that you think, like I think of businesses, right? And you already know your market and it's, um, yes, as businesses, but you know, more importantly, as the business grows, and you, you can't, Bank of America has 200,000 employees, right? It's not possible to go through um, for every person there. So then you shrink it down. It's, it's for teams within the businesses as the business gets larger. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, and especially in a remote working environment, I know a lot of people are struggling that, would normally not have as many communication challenges. They're struggling with it. And I think, mm. you know, regardless of what you think about the future of work, I, I believe most people believe that some form of flexibility is here to stay, you know, that we probably won't go back fully to the way we did before where everybody's required to be in their seat, you know, nine to five all the time, every day of the week. And if that's the case, then you need systems that support that type of team and, and stand up pro is ideal for that. I mean, I, I like to use the example of Rabu because, you know, in March when we started working remotely, uh, honestly, we couldn't tell a difference. The only difference was little literal physical presence between our team. But we used to have our stand-ups in person and, and show stand-up pro on the TV in our break room. And then we had them over Zoom. But quite frankly, it was, it was the exact same otherwise. Um, and our team did a phenomenal job of transitioning to remote work uh, and didn't miss a beat. And I, I think, you know, if you asked Amir or James or anybody else on our team, they would credit the standup we do and, and stand up pro for, for really helping with that. So for leaders out there that are struggling with, with remote work and, and, and honestly with communication in general, um, I think it's, I think it's ideal for you. Yeah. Um, so when I go to, um, or I guess when I used to go to the bookstore, um, and I walk through the bookstore aisle and you end up in the inevitable, you know, business area or self-help area or whatever it is, right. How to improve yourself. Um, there's like 16,000 books there and you go over to the kids section and there's like four, um, there's, you know, countless other productivities out there, um, or productivity tools for business owners. Right. So what's your core belief that makes us separate from all of those others, you know, quote unquote books on the shelf, so to speak. Yeah, no, fantastic question. The, the thing I want to be most clear about is that Stand Up Pro is not a to-do list. It is a, a communication framework uh, and a software product that will help you run a better team. And one of the, the, the hills that I'm prepared to die on, so to speak, uh, with what I believe, the contrarian belief I have is that if everybody reports on just their most important thing for that day, that is enough. You know, that solves 80% of the communication problem. And you do not need sophisticated project management tools. You do not need, um, you know, everybody to input all of their to-dos into a software product to know what your team is working on or to achieve alignment. Um, you don't need that. And Sandup Pro is simple for a very strategic reason. You know, we're going to add features to it over time, of course, but... I think we will have lost ourselves if we overcomplicate it because the, the main differentiator of it is that it's simple and easy to implement. And, um, and I think that's absolutely critical. Uh, most other products out there have a lot of bells and whistles and, and that's great. But um, my experience is you'll, you'll end up, you'll use it for 30 days and then you'll drop it because it yeah. becomes um, cumbersome and, and we never want to be that. Fair enough. So, um, so what can the local Charlotte startup um, investor community system do to help you out as you continue to grow, you know, stand up pro? And I mean, honestly, as you continue to be the CEO over, over at Rabu. Yeah, absolutely. On the stand up pro side, um, you know, just, just trying the product, you know, uh, signing up, using it, uh, giving me feedback, providing referrals would, would be great, you know, um, or feedback, honestly, if you say, you know what, this thing is, there's a competitor out there that's, that's doing what you're doing, but doing it better. And here's who they are. You know, I'm, I'm open to all that. Right. Um, so feedback would be number one and, and usage would be great. Um, and then on the Rabu side, um, 
you know, we are in a, a period of, of high growth, which is great. Um, and we, we need capital to continue to fuel that growth. Um, and, you know, if, if you are an investor um, and are interested in real estate and prop tech um, and tech-enabled services in general, then um, we would love to, to speak to you. Um, and also, if you're a property investor or owner uh, and you are looking to earn more revenue on your property, then please, uh, you know, go to rabu.com and, uh, and book a meeting with us because we'd love to underwrite your property and tell you how we could help you. Yeah. So um, great points. Um, and certainly hope folks do it. Um, so you're, um, I mean, you've learned a lot over, um, you know, kind of a, we'll call it a short career and, um, and have been building to, you know, what you want to do, which is be an entrepreneur. And I guess I'd say you're, you're now an entrepreneur, but you've learned a lot over that process. And as a result of that learning, um, you know, you're a smart person, you're a kind person, you're, um, you're kind of a community person, right? Like to give back. Um, you started a newsletter at the same, or I guess, um, not too long ago as well. So talk for just a couple minutes about the newsletter and we'll wrap up on that nice little tidbit. Sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the nice words. Um, and uh, yeah, again, can't thank you enough for everything you do for the ecosystem. It's, it's invaluable. Um, the newsletter, you know, I, I love having a creative outlet and I am a horrible painter and an even worse singer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the only creative outlet that I have, um, you know, artistic ability, if you will, is, is maybe I'm an okay writer at, at some points. And so I, um, I wanted to have that creative outlet. And so early this year uh, or in 2020, uh, I wanted to write more. And so I thought, okay, well, I know about Stand Up Pro. You know, the only way you actually do things is to be disciplined about it. <laughs> you know, in that case, it's meeting every day. Um, and in this newsletter case, I said, look, I, I want you to commit to writing one article a week and put it out in uh, a newsletter and, and just commit to doing 52 of them. Do it for a year and and see if you enjoy it and so i started in in january i believe it was when my first issue and really didn't know exactly where i was going to take it but um it has morphed into a way of me organizing my thoughts about what i've learned and and the mistakes i've made and the experiences i've had um and then writing about things that i get inspiration from um that are little lessons for business leaders you know and it's it's a two to three minute read it comes out Thursdays at 7 a.m. And it's been a lot of fun for me. I, I hope that uh, its subscribers are getting value out of it, um, but it's just been honestly really fun and, uh, and you know, hopefully valuable for others. But if you wanna subscribe, um, the easiest way to subscribe is to subscribe on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has a cool new newsletter feature that um, if you go to my profile, you can find it and just click on the subscribe button and that'll, that'll get you going. But, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. It comes out on Thursdays and it's been a heck of a lot of fun. That's awesome. It's a great read for those out there that don't already subscribe to you. I highly encourage you. It's called one shareable thing. Is that right? That is. Yep. Um, it's kind of built off the, you know, one goal for Stand Up pro. I wanted to keep it simple. So really just kind of one thought, you know, and, uh, and to leave you, you know, to end your week with. I hear you. So, um, no, that's fantastic. So, um, Trent, I can't thank you enough. It's been a, um, an awesome podcast. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the course of the last month and really excited to get to share your story and everything else with the community at large too. So I greatly appreciate you carving out an hour and obviously wish you tremendous success on, um, on all fronts on a go forward basis. Thanks so much, William. It's been awesome. And uh, thanks for having me. Happy Friday to you and to all the uh, listeners out there. Keep doing all the great and cool stuff you're doing and let me know how I can be helpful. So we'll do it. Thanks so much, Trent. All right. Thanks, William. Take care. a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. 
opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.